0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Revelation 1, 1 through 8. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For this time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before this throne, and from Jesus Christ... He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Amen to that. Uh, well, again, it's, it's good to be with you all. Uh, for those of you who are new, if you're a guest, visiting, family, out of town, we are glad you're here. Um, and it is a joy to open God's Word and to gather with His people. And so, I just, I love our church. That was just a beautiful moment. The kid, I just, oh, I love it. I know I'm paid to say that, but I love it. And so, I would just love to pray for our time as we continue on together. So, let's, let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we do, we, we thank you for the gift of your church and Lord, we, while we know that we, we are an imperfect people, and your church as it is right now is imperfect, Lord, we also know that you have given us the gift of yourself and of one another, redeemed by Christ to be the hope of the world. And so Lord, I ask that in this time as we open your word and hear from you, Lord, may we come to be a people who are marked by the truth of what we hear. And so Lord, for, for the things that we are prone to disregard or forget or forget, or object to, Lord, may we, may we hear clearly from you this morning, may the power of your spirit open our eyes and our ears to hear, to know, to receive, and to delight, and live out the truths that we proclaim and believe together. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory, amen. Well, here's, here's a question for you, I want, I want us to think about this. Are we, are we gonna be doing this in 50 years? Like, like, are we really going to be gathering together? Is there going to be a collection of people who pledge their allegiance to Jesus, gather together Sunday after Sunday, celebrating, remembering what Christ has done? Is there going to be a community of people who, who come together to remember who Jesus is and then who are sent out, scattered throughout our city, believing in and living out the claims of a resurrected king? Are we gonna be doing this in 50 years? I know we may not all be here in 50 years, but will the church be here? And I ask this question because there are some of us who might be thinking, both within these walls and outside these walls, that no, not really. That the church is probably, here in the West, just going to go the way of Europe. That the church is eventually gonna become this kind of dying, hollow institution, holding on to this antiquated list of doctrines that have no relevance or bearing upon our current moment. And, and I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm not trying to kind of be a pessimist. But again, I think this is a question I want to ask because many of us, I think, are asking it. And in fact, those outside the church are not just asking it, but predicting it, that the church is eventually going to be this irrelevant, dying institution that will eventually become nothing more than just this kind of social niche club relevant to just a few people. And, and when, you, when you read the data, uh, you might be kind of inclined to answer in the affirmative. Yeah, like, yeah, the, the church is not going to be around here for a while. There was, a, there was a study by the Barna Group that c- uh, concluded that 37% of teenagers today in the U.S. believe that it is impossible to know that God exists, which is a surprisingly high number an increase of the last decade. Relatedly, the percentage of, of people within uh, Generation Z, Gen Z, identify, the, 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 the percentage of those who identify as atheists is now double the national average of adults. Among the millennial generation, 33% claim no religious affiliation, And among Gen Z, that number is nearing 40%. We've also seen in recent years the advent of what people refer to as atheist churches. These are legitimate communities of people who gather together on Sundays to share, to celebrate, and to support one another in their shared rejection of God and faith and religion and their celebration of reason and and human intellect. And this is just what's happening outside the church if we think about what's going inside the church, the situation's a little bit different. I mean, increasingly, we find the church is losing her credibility because of the increased hypocrisy among its members, as well as the increased moral corruption among its leaders. We find the church is losing her voice. Within our own theological, uh, situ- uh, our own theological tradition, we find that the term evangelical has been hijacked to be equated more with a political ideology than it actually is a theological term. We find that evangelical Christians in particular are seen as people whose allegiance to Jesus is at best conflated with, but in some, in some cases supplanted by, a particular political ideology. According to another study, the number one word used to describe Christians by those outside the church is the word judgmental. I could keep going on and on on this, but, and I say all this, when you add it all up, we're forced to really ask the question, faithful, thoughtful followers of Jesus should ask the question, where is the church heading? Where are we moving? Where are we going? And this morning, we begin our new sermon series in the book of Revelation, entitled, A Church for the End of the World. But after hearing all of that, some of us are probably wondering, is the church even gonna be around for the end of the world? Like, whenever that is, and however it comes about, is the church even going to be around for that moment? And so I want us to spend some time in the book of Revelation, we're going to be in here for a few weeks, but I thought it's helpful and appropriate because if you've been with us for a while, we were in the book of Genesis, and we skipped a whole lot all the way to the book of Revelation. And Revelation is a book that we need some understanding around because it is arguably the most misunderstood and misinterpreted book of the entire Bible. In some ways, we kind of avoid it because we just don't know what to do with it. It's just that weird uncle that shows up at reunions. You're like, well, he's here and he's family, but I don't know what to do with him. And so we all have those uncles. Some of you are those uncles. But that's what Revelation is. And so I want to give us a bit of a context of what this book is about. Fundamentally, the book of Revelation is a letter. It is a letter written by the Apostle John, the same John who penned the Gospel of John and the letters at the end of the New Testament, but it is a letter that is very unique because it was given by dictation from Jesus, a revelation given to John to be recorded for the edification and the exhortation to the church. And we see this in, in Revelation 1, verses 10 through 11. We read these words. John is saying, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, a.k.a. John's just in church. It's just Sunday, y'all. And John is in he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book And send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So chapters two and three of of, of Revelation are, are letters written to these real seven churches. They're not metaphorical. They're literal churches in real cities comprised of real people in real time and space. And just like the other letters in the New Testament, they're meant to be circulated among Christians for their own edification and strength and growth in the faith. But then you come to chapters 4 through 22, a.k.a. the weird stuff, and and we get all this interesting symbolic imagery of prophetic imagery, apocalyptic literature, and it's all kind of telling about what it means that Jesus is now king and what it means to surrender and submit to him as king in the midst of a world that is opposed to his kingdom. And there's a lot of imagery about the end times and what Jesus' return will look like. It is very complicated, to say the least. Now for this series, just as a side point, we're going to be focusing in on the first three chapters. We're gonna be looking at these seven letters to the churches, we're gonna come back to the rest of Revelation sometime next year. Hopefully Jesus returns and we won't have to, but that's the plan, is to cover the rest of Revelation next year, but we'll be focusing in on the first seven letters. Um, And and here's here's what I wanna say. I wanna say something about the weird stuff. Because I think that one of the reasons why people struggle with the book of Revelation, myself included, is because we get so wrapped up with trying to interpret the the, the symbols and the imagery that we miss out on the broad theme of what Revelation is about, namely, that Jesus is king, that he reigns on his throne, that his kingdom is coming and will reign forever when heaven and earth are made one yet again. The book of Revelation is not a riddle that we must decipher to figure out precisely when Jesus comes back to earth. That's not the point. In fact, Jesus was very emphatic about that is not for you to know the signs or the times, but trust the Holy Spirit will be upon you and you will receive power. Instead of it being a riddle that we must decipher, I believe the book of Revelation is primarily about forming and equipping the church to essentially pray for and work towards the renewal of all things. that revelation is given to the church to know how to live faithfully in our present moment as we await the establishment of God's kingdom that will reign forever here on earth. To, to, To say it another way, revelation is about preparing the church to pray for and work towards the words we just prayed. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we talk about being a church for the end of the world, We're not trying to ask the question, how does the church survive until the end of the world? How do we kind of of bunker down and and just kind of make it through? But rather the question is, how does the church thrive for the good of the world in the midst of a culture that is antithetical to the values of the kingdom of Jesus? And as we come to chapter one of Revelation, we find that the answer that Jesus gives us through John is that a church that is designed for the end of the world listens. It listens, which is incredibly anticlimactic after that really long introduction. Like, that's your best suggestion on how we remedy all of these issues? But I believe it's, it's very important in understanding what this means. How is the church going to be a collective power of transformation and renewal in our world? She must be a people who listens. And I wanna unpack what that means, but before we get to that, I want us to see that in order for the church to listen, A church for the end of the world must recognize that we are always listening. A church for the end of the world recognizes we are always listening. And let let me explain what I mean by this. We are at every moment, right now, as we leave this place, as kickoff happens at noon, as we enter into whatever place we find ourselves serving on Monday morning, we are always being formed. We are always being shaped. We are always listening to someone or something that is influencing us, forming us, shaping us. I've heard it said that that we are not human beings, we are human becomings. Have you heard that phrase before? Because we, we, we are constantly becoming something different, and we are moving in one trajectory or another. We are constantly being formed, either through explicit means or implicit means. From your college education to the cover of Cosmopolitan, from what you watch on YouTube to the watch on your wrist, from, from what you feed yourself to your Instagram feed, we, we are constantly being shaped and formed by things in our world, whether we recognize it or not. In fact, I mean, uh, so I'll let you in on some, some of the strangest of my life. So I love fantasy football because I'm an idiot, okay, and I love fantasy football, and I found recently, if you don't know what it is, just Google it later, but I found that I was on Tuesday last week, I found myself really just somber and sulking and just kind of just down, and I wasn't quite sure what it was, and as I kind of just was praying about it and reflecting, on it, I realized I was down because I lost in fantasy football last week to my friend Scott. And, I was, and it, like, it actually impacted me, this stupid, insignificant game. It's not even a game, it's a fantasy game. And I lost, and I'd become so wrapped up in it that losing in it had begun to impact my own emotional well-being. Even so much, I mean, I, I found during fantasy football season, it's the first thing I check in the morning on my phone. And so we might say, oh, fantasy football, things like it, we all have these things, and before you judge me, you all have your own fantasy football. But you know, we all have these things that form us and shape us, and it, they turn us into something, whether we recognize it or not. And I believe the book of Revelation, in some ways, is intended to help us listen and see what's really going on in our world seeing the powers at play, seeing the stories that influence us, the voices that we listen to, and how they are building us towards either the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of this world that is opposed to his kingdom. Which is why the letter opens up with these words of blessing in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You see, Revelation begins with the primacy, the importance, the supremacy of listening to Jesus because we live in a world where we are always listening, always being influenced. And so John begins with this revelation from Jesus saying, are we blessed in how we are listening to Jesus over and above all things? In this way, revelation is less about predicting the future, and it's more about unmasking the present. I'm going to say that again. Revelation has more to do, I believe, it has less to do with predicting the future and more to do with unmasking the present. What is going on now? What are the powers at play? How do we find ourselves, Do are we able to see the world within the world which, which we inhabit? And perhaps what I believe is that what is unmasking for us as a church is that we may find ourselves not listening to the voice of Jesus, even though we might think we are. That perhaps we may find ourselves being carried along by the tune of some Pied Piper that sounds like Jesus, but is not Jesus. It's like like listening to to your GPS in your your car. And let's say you plug in the wrong coordinates to where you want to go, and you just kind of tune out, you just start driving. You're listening to this familiar voice that has guided you, but because you've punched in the wrong coordinates, it's taking you to the wrong destination. But as you're listening to this familiar voice, you think you're going the right path. Are we listening to the right voice? And I believe Revelation is opening our eyes to see the truth of what's happening in our world. And, and here's how, um, Brian Babb, he's a theologian who has written extensively on the book of Revelation. He says this, and kind of helping us understand the purpose of Revelation. He says, Revelation's symbolic visions challenge readers to resist worldly compromise, spiritual complacency, and false teaching. They expose the true nature of the world's ungodly political, cultural, economic, and religious system destined for destruction. They, referring to the symbols, the imagery of Revelation, they reorient believers' worldviews and values around God's eternal kingdom. And so, in this way, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is meant to be an encouragement and an exhortation to the church, the true church of Jesus Christ to not capitulate or to not not give in to the values and the systems of our world that stand opposed to Jesus' kingdom, but instead to be a people who give careful, careful attention to Jesus above all else. Revelation is written, yes, so that those who don't follow Jesus might come to see that Jesus is worthy of their attention, their affection, and their allegiance above all things. But Revelation is also written for those who aren't really listening to Jesus even though they might think they are. Revelation is written to what I refer to as air freshener Christians. Christians who like the scent of Jesus but not Jesus himself. And recently I was in my car. My, my girls gave me this, this car freshener. It's, uh, the scent is Hawaiian. I haven't opened it yet. I guarantee you it doesn't smell like Hawaii. I guarantee you. But here's the thing. This is kind of how some of us function. We like the scent of Jesus, but not Jesus himself. We like the scent of Hawaii, but we're not committed to going there, actually. We we are obsessed with the the veneer, the, the visual, the optics, but we have not pledged our allegiance, our functional allegiance to Jesus. Revelation is a warning then to those who like Jesus and appreciate the values of his kingdom, of peace, of justice, of grace, of forgiveness, but also really like our culture's values of consumerism, of materialism, of individualism, of triumphalism. And we find ourselves living in two worlds. We like Jesus provided that he doesn't interfere too much with my career, my relationships, my hobby, my body, my sexuality, my politics, my, my bank account. I like Jesus as long as he doesn't meddle with my life. We have a hope in Jesus, as it pertains to our spiritual life, but our real functional hope is actually rooted in the progress and the advancements of science and medicine and technology, which are good things, and and faithful followers of Jesus should be in those fields. But where is our functional hope? In his outstanding book, which I would commend to you, The Reappearing Church, Australian theologian and pastor Mark Sayers points this out in how the church has come to supplant the hope of Jesus with a hope in human progress. He says this, driven by the belief that we can attain perfection without the divine, faith in God gives over to faith in ourselves. Thus, the secularist progressive myth seeks to gain the fruit of God's kingdom such as justice, peace, prosperity, and redemption, but without the king. And herein lies, I believe, the tension that the book of Revelation is trying to address that the church of Jesus Christ may be comprised of people who want, who want justice without the judge, who want peace without the prince, who want salvation without the savior, who want the story without the author, who want the kingdom without the king. And we should be honest in asking ourselves that question, are we guilty of that? If we are to be a church for the end of the world and for the good of the world, then friends, we must be awakened to the fact that we are always listening. We are always being shaped and formed by things, by the devices in our hands, by the jobs that we engage in, by everything that may not be inherently evil in and of themselves, but they are making you and me something and someone. But is it who we want to be? The church of Jesus Christ must be aware that we are always listening, but but that's only half the battle, because the church for the end of the world also listens to Jesus above all else. The church for the end of the world listens to Jesus above all else. Revelation is essentially, if you think about what the book is about, it's essentially calling the church to properly order her allegiances. To properly, because we all pledge our allegiance to various things. We all have priorities in what we give our time, attention, and affection to. But Revelation is calling the true church of Jesus to pledge her allegiance to Jesus above all else. It doesn't mean that we cannot be committed to other things or have convictions or preference towards things, but they must all be submitted to and surrender to the kingship of Jesus. That for the church of Jesus Christ, her fundamental and primary political campaign statement is that Jesus is king. And everything else falls under that proclamation. And I believe that the relevance of this book for our day today is found in how it speaks to those who would identify as followers of Jesus, and yet who are not living their lives with a real allegiance to him. And that might be you, and that might be me. And my hope and prayer is that Revelation serves as that mirror for us as a church, as Christ's community. Do we find ourselves blessed as those who hear, who read, and keep the word of God? Or do we find ourselves with one foot in one kingdom and another foot in another? Wanting parts of Jesus' kingdom, but actually still living for the values of another kingdom. And so church, are we listening to Jesus above all else? Would we be found among those considered blessed in Revelation? Again, we read those words in verse 3. Blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written. If we are to be a church for the end of the world, for the good of the world, then we have to be a people who are holy, faithfully, and fruitfully listening to Jesus. But what does that mean? And, 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 and let, me, let, me, let me say what it doesn't mean. Not just a church that has listened. Yes, I've listened to Jesus. I listen on occasion, but a church that is constantly listening to Jesus but what that doesn't mean, I, I don't mean that we place ourselves in Jesus' word instead of doing everything else. Like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, honey, I, I can't care for you right now, the kids. I, I'm sorry, uh, my, my boss, I can't come to work. I have to, I just have to be in the Bible. That's what my pastor said. I've got to quit everything I'm doing. That does not mean we place ourselves in Jesus' word instead of doing everything else. Rather, it means that everything else we do is placed in Jesus' word. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, let, let me use another metaphor. The, the, the Bible, the Word of God, is not one app that we add to the other apps of our lives, but it is the operating system that everything else in our lives operates upon. Does that make sense? Does that one help a little bit more? The Word of Christ is not to be seen as just this hobby, a facet, one source of wisdom, but it is to be the source of truth that we surrender our lives to. It doesn't mean that we neglect any other source of wisdom. I believe God reveals His truth. All truth is God's truth. But the primary source of our authority is God's revealed word. And these words in Revelation about the blessing of those who read, hear, and keep God's word, they're not, it's not simply about how do, we, how do we get ourselves into the Bible more? How do we read the Bible more? That's true. But it's about how do we get the Bible into us? It's not just about how do I read the Bible? Like, I really should read Habakkuk. I feel like I haven't read that book in a while. Like, it's not about guilting people into reading the Bible. It's not about getting the church into the Bible, but getting the Bible, God's word, into us. And so if we are to be a church who listens to Jesus over all else, let me suggest a few things for us to consider. As we seek to listen to Jesus, not just on Sunday, but but in our Monday lives as well, as we seek to be the faithful presence of Jesus in this world, let me suggest a few things. The first is this, be here, be here. Be here. And what I mean is that you can't pledge your allegiance to Jesus and snub his girl. Some of you are gonna get that. The church of Jesus Christ is described in the New Testament as the bride of Jesus. And for some of us who, we like Jesus, we, we like the, the kingdom of Jesus, we like the values of Jesus, but if we say we like Jesus and not the church, we're saying, "Read, I like you, but your, your wife, that's a, that's a different story. That, like, we will not be good if that's the case. For us to be committed to Jesus and snub his girl, the church, is to say that we have not fully pledged our allegiance to Jesus. We need the church, and I, and I, I realize the awkwardness of the pastor saying that to you, but I hope you know that like, when I say that, this is not just something I want for or from you, it's something I want for you, that I believe that we all need the blessing of the church, the encouragement, the support, the, the, the exhortation, the challenge of the church. We need it. And many of us, many of us are committed to things and we pledge our allegiance to various things. Many of you won't miss a minute of a Chiefs game this year. Many of you won't miss a day of working out this year. Many of you won't miss one episode of the new season of whatever, because you are pledged to it. And I'm I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, the Chiefs are great, going to the gym is great, whatever show you watch is probably maybe great, I'm not sure, but the point is, we all pledge our allegiance to things. And have we come to misorder our loves and our allegiances in the way in which we treat the gathering of God's people? To be committed to Jesus is to be committed to his church, not just because you need the church, but because also the church needs you, so be here. But secondly, the the second thing I would say is open here. And, And what I mean by this, this is just a reference to the importance of regularly finding ourselves in the scriptures. We have a, a Bible reading plan as a church. I know there's many out there, but if you're looking for one to start, you can use Open Here. It's a resource we have on our website. Uh, you can follow along. There's a reading plan through the book of Revelation. I'd encourage you to check that out as we're, if you're looking for a place to start. But again, we cannot pledge our allegiance to Jesus without pledging our allegiance to his word and seeing it as a priority in our lives. So we need to be here. We should open here. We should f- spend time in God's word. But, but even with that, what I would say is that we should also, when we are engaging God's word, we should ask the question, so what? And, and I shared this earlier this year. That This was just a helpful kind of acrostic. As we think about engaging God's word, what are the questions that we should engage as we hear from God? Because it's not just enough for us to read the Bible for mileage. We should read the Bible so that it can read us. And so these are some questions, and if you're interested, we made a little bookmark that has these questions out on the welcome table uh, and out in the lobby, feel free to grab one. But basically, as you're reading the scriptures, ask these questions, whom is God calling me to serve? What is God calling me to omit, to remove from my life? How is he calling me to worship? What is he calling me to hold on to? As you're reading God's word, ask these questions. What is he calling me to adore, and how is he calling me to be thankful? And as you can see, it spells, so what? That took me like a week to come up with. But hopefully that's just a helpful way, again, not for us just to read the Bible for out of a sense of obligation, but so that we might allow the Bible to read us, shape us, and form us. So if we wanna be a church, not just to to survive until the end of the world, but to thrive for the good of the world, we must be a people who, who listen and recognize we're always listening, who seek to listen to Jesus above all else, But we must also see that a church for the end of the world believes Jesus is worthy. It is not just about recognizing Jesus has wisdom to impart to me, that he's one of many voices within my Twitter feed that I pursue for guidance and counsel. We don't just gather here on Sundays and read from this book because we think that Jesus has some nice things to say. We do so because we believe Jesus is worthy. And, and if that's not where you are, if, like, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But my hope is that as we journey through Revelation, we would come to see that Jesus is not just a great voice to turn to, but he is the voice above all else that we should surrender our lives to. That the reason true followers of Jesus listen to Jesus above all else is because they believe the words that John pens in Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. That Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests to his God, this is what we believe. Jesus is not one voice among many that we listen to, he's not one God among many that we turn to, he's not one teacher among many that we learn from, he is the one and only king over all kings. He is the one and only defeater of death as the firstborn of the dead. He is the one and only redeemer who has freed us and loved us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his return. He has done this so that we might be forgiven and transformed, yes, so that we might be brought back to God, but so that we might also be his ambassadors in this world, his hands and feet, bringing about the renewal of all things. That's what the church is. When we declare that the church is the hope of the world, we believe that because the church is comprised globally of all believers empowered by the spirit, redeemed by Jesus, sent out by God to be the hope of the world. We are not merely inhabitants of a kingdom, we are royal ambassadors of the king who has sent us out to exercise our kingly power to love and serve our neighbors, to to bring about and reweave the fabric of peace and shalom that has been separated and tattered because of sin. Jesus is not just one who we give attention to this day. He is the one we give our attention to every day because he is the king over yesterday, over today, and over tomorrow. It's why Jesus declares this about himself in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We don't just listen to Jesus because he's got some nice things to say. We listen to Jesus because we believe he is worthy, amen? A church for the end of the world, for the good of the world, listens to Jesus. Now this morning we, we began by asking the question, where is the church heading? Where is it going? Where is all of this building towards? Is it just on a, on a collision course? Is the church just kind of, be, kind of inflict this self-inflicted wound that's gonna end itself? I believe that the true church is following Jesus the king. And I believe he is, the, the church is following this king who is heading and leading us towards the fulfillment of what we prayed on earth as it is in heaven. Not so that we might, as redeemed ones, be sent into this ethereal realm floating around forever in heaven, but so that we might see through God and his work in the world through his church, heaven and earth made one. The question for us as a church is are we listening to Jesus? Jesus? Are we listening to the one who is leading his church? May the Lord open our ears. May he open our eyes. May he open our hearts and our hands so that we might be a church for the end of the world, for the good of the world, and for the glory of Christ our King. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we believe that you are here, that you are present we believe that through your spirit, you, you are at work in this world. And Lord, we ask that you would equip us as a church. Lord, I, I, yes, I wanna pray for, for all believers, but Lord, I wanna pray for my family here, that we would be a people who are so captivated by the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus, that we would recognize, we do, we listen to so many voices, Lord. And give us the discernment to filter out those voices that we might hear your voice clearly that we might be formed and shaped by your truth first and foremost before we are formed by anything else. Lord, would you equip us to be a people who pledge our allegiance to you above all things, and may every other love and allegiance be submitted to that, you as our king. Lord, would you open the eyes of those of us who have found ourselves leading a life where we like Jesus, we like the kingdom, but we don't like the king. Lord, would you show us that truth, and may we be a church that is truly prepared for the end of the world, for the good of the world, And for the glory of your name, and Lord Jesus, would you show yourself to us, those who are far off, that you would show us that you are the one who has loved us and freed us through your life, through your death and resurrection. Would you do this for our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.